Stephanie and Taylor here on the second season of In the Cut. Hey. <laughs> um, last season was pretty good. We had a solid five episodes and yeah. everything was like swagged out. So, word. Excited so, back here, senior spring part yeah. two. Like yeah. last, last, last freaking this time is, around. This is the, the, end, the end days, man. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I feel like, so we first got back to campus, and then there was this, like, sort of renewal of energy, like, yeah. Tashay was bouncing around the house, like, No, all I was, I was, like, glowing. I was, like, I'm in love with life, like, nothing can stop me. I, yeah. like, have a, I, like, fall in love with the beginnings of things, like, I'm always just, like, yay, like, excitement, and then it's just, like, this goes down, so. Nah, but not this time, because. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, even started going to the gym, like. Oh, yeah, that was definitely <laughs> part of the wave. Yeah, we, I, like, I, like, got up at, like, 7.15, got to hot track, like, but I come to notice, like, very quickly that the gym is a mixy place. Like, everyone's at the gym at that time, and it's, like. I don't want to see everyone at the uh-huh. gym that time. Don't act like, oh, so why were you going every morning? My health? Like, I just want to be mm, a healthy person. Yeah. Oh, this morning I saw this person. Okay. And then I saw her. I can't observe. I'm an observant person. That's, mm. that's what happened. Um, I'm not mixy. People just know me. That's my impression of Stephanie. <laughs> but <true>. uh, <laughs> Anyhow, so then I decided that I wanted to go to the gym with her purely like for mixy reasons yeah but i was like okay we're gonna like exercise a bit and then hit the basketball course because you know i'm a baller like i've been playing basketball since like third grade Taylor, <laughs> like come on let's go so we're playing like a friendly game of basketball like it's all good and dandy like a little dribble here a little three point there and then we're like literally the only people like in the in the, in the on the basketball court and then taylor like 8 a.m it's 8 a.m. Taylor goes to make a three, and I just, like, jump up and, like, block her, but I'm, like, not that close. And I fall, like, very hard on my ankle, like, like that, like, sweat. And it really hurts. <laughs> and I'm but like, meanwhile, <laughs> so I just thought it was hilarious that, like, she just, like, jumped up and, like, fell. So I was just, like, what the hell? Like, you just fell and then was, like, already laughing, and then I had to, like take it back and be like oh like yeah. okay like yeah I like fell ice. in slow motion like it could have been my last arrest to be honest <laughs> and then Taylor goes gets a little ball boy he gets me ice he's like you don't need to go to the hospital or anything I'm like no 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 like I'm good but I like couldn't get up and walk so I like crawl over to the side of the court and just like watch Taylor play basketball for another 15 minutes <laughs> <laughs> Then Uber and I thought we were just cooling out, like whatever, mm-hmm. and then it just became like progressively more serious over yeah. the course of the day. Like, yeah, I go to SHS, like they're like, "Oh, like this is bad." Like da da da, get an X-ray, wear this boot, wear these crutches. Crutches are very painful and involve a lot of upper body strength, and all your muscles so are Steph working. Just refuses to like use her crutches. Yeah, it's too much for me. <laughs> so if anyone wants to be an in-home nurse and help me out, like I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> um, yo, that was some crazy mess, but crazy, bro. Whew. Meanwhile, like 
our country is like going up in flames. But like, actually, I just feel like where are those people that said Trump wasn't going to be that bad? Or, oh, like, I'm protest voting, like, as a first step to the resistance or the revolution. Like, where, like, where's your second step? Like, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I said this, like, and then, like, when he got elected, like, it still feels like this isn't real. And it's, like, the first week, and it's, like, all these executive orders, the, the wall, the Muslim ban, like, all these things. It's just, like, what? Where? Abortion gag rule. This, like, I don't, I'm speechless, because I don't even know what to do. Like, I don't even know, like, how to react to it. I don't even know what we can do. So I saw something that, and people, like, joked about this, like, before he was elected. He's, like... Um, America, America is basically going to be set back like 70 years based on like all these things that Trump's trying to do. And that's really crazy that it's 2017 yet all these policies that he's trying to do, like we're going to just be set back so far. We need stuff just like every time I open my like newsfeed, I see things about Trump, but sometimes you just want to escape that and just like feel good. So yesterday I was just listening to Migo's album and this morning um, for the culture, really. And I really like Kelly Price. I really like the way Travis Scott's voice makes me feel. Like it, like, it makes me feel like I'm on a cloud, like, in a wave. <laughs> like, if that makes sense. Like, just a very, like, euphoric and... Travis? Travis Scott, yeah. Steph also just showed me this, um, <laughs> remix video. <laughs> okay, so this, like, girl was, um... On Dr. Phil. I think the video, I saw this video a minute ago, but like, you know, black people on the internet are so creative and just like continue, like d don't let things die really. So this girl is on on Dr. Phil and she's kind of like talking about how she's just gonna like beat up people, like catch me outside. <laughs> um, I don't, I, I don't recall like the whole thing, but like there's like a meme that's like catch me outside. How about that? And... <laughs> <laughs> like someone made like a remix to it, like put a beat over, and this and remix bumped. Yeah, it's like, really <laughs> I could hear it like at the club. And yeah, like, it's okay. fire, but it's also like still like it captures like how hilarious that scene was. Like, yeah. oh god, he's like, Doctor Phil's like, catch you outside. What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> what I just say? <laughs> yeah, it was funny. It was funny. Um, but yeah. So basically, we wanted to chat with a couple other like um women who had been to the march or who like hadn't and just like had thoughts about it um because we know that um not everyone like felt the same about like um how empowering the march was or how meaningful it was or like whether or not like it showed that feminism was going in the right direction um and things like that um, and particularly, I saw a lot on social media about, like, the way in which, like, centering, like, genitalia as, like, um, a defining, like, aspect of, like, being a woman was, like, alienating mm -hmm. for, like, trans people, um, for trans women. And, yeah, and then I also was curious about, like, um, since... Like, I hadn't even thought about the ways in which, like, the U.S. being, like, anti-abortion could affect, like, abortion in other countries. Other countries. Like, I, that wasn't really on my mind. And so I think um, I was definitely interested to learn more about, like, 
um, what this really could mean in like other countries and their their feminist struggles, but also realizing that like feminism looks really different in like other cultural contexts, especially like outside of the West. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So we wanted to like chitty chat with a couple people that could mm-hmm. maybe help us like understand um, their perspective on these things. Yeah, and unfortunately, I couldn't be with Tay to interview people, but because I was, was in and out ankle mayhem. Yeah, was I was in and out of the hospital, <laughs> but um, Tay interviewed a few people. Yeah, Megan um, um, and Marissa. Um, so yeah, let's like see what they had to say. What's up? So we're currently sitting, chilling with Megan Jayam, and we're trying to um, get this conversation rolling about um, whether or not, like, different people went to the Women's March and, like, what their um, thoughts and opinions were before and afterwards. So I guess I'll start off with that question. Did you go to any of them? Yeah. So I actually made it to the D.C. March. I went um, with a group of, like, 35 other Penn people through um, the – there was this interfaith bus that went together, and it was basically – I tried to get on that bus. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I got on the wait list. It was, like – there was a long wait list. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. yeah. I was actually on the wait list, too, but um, I made my way onto the bus somehow. Do you feel as though, like, you have felt um, as, like, a person of color or also, like, someone from, like, Saudi Arabia that, like, this election will, like, make you potentially feel less safe, like, um, in the future? Or, like, how do you think your identity as, like, being also a Penn student, like, like, have you thought about, like, whether or not you personally feel as though this will, like, affect your livelihood? Um or, like, ability yeah. to move in the world? No, definitely. Um, so just for context, I um, am a person of color, and I grew up in Saudi Arabia for a part of my life, though I am an American citizen because I was born here. So I, um, my circumstances, I think, are really weird because essentially my parents work for an oil company in Saudi, um, Aramco, you guessed it, um, so <laughs> they, yeah, we moved there when I was nine, and they're actually, they still, they're still working there, so I was just there over winter break, um, but I left for boarding school for high school, so I was, I myself was there for like five, six years, but then um, have been here in America for high school and college, and so I never, like, while Saudi is where my family lives currently, I never considered it, like, home necessarily, because I'm I'm not a Saudi national. Whenever I go there, I'm treated as an outsider, um, as an expat, an expatriate. Um, in Saudi, for the company my parents work for, there's a lot of expats, which um, basically means there's, like, a lot of Americans, Canadians, um, Australians, and, like, other nationalities, and we all live in a compound together that's funded by the company that um, everyone works for. So, yeah, it's like it's a literal bubble. And like (laughs) we're like walled off. Like if you've ever seen the movie Kingdom, it's like kind of based off my compound. Um, Mm. It's just like the super, super secure community where like all these international people live. So because I lived in that bubble, I um, 
just kind of grew up around a lot of people of a lot of different cultures. Even now, um, I would consider going back to the Middle East to work maybe in Dubai or something, but probably never in Saudi. It's just not the place for women to have careers. Um, my mom, she's been working there. I mean, she luckily somehow got a job. It's really, really difficult for women to get jobs. Um, hmm. And so, but she like worked her butt off and got a job. And it's just, um, and I mean, I've been um, like watching her kind of be frustrated with her job all, all along. Basically, she and that trains. doesn't have to do with education access? No, it okay. doesn't. Everyone's, um, because they're, I mean, un- up until the oil price drop like a year ago, um, everyone had a, there's just a lot of cash flowing into the country. So they like really fund education and they like push everyone to go to American colleges. And then so basically they sign a contract saying they'll go to college in America, come back and work for the company for like three to four years. Um, so, but like my mom, she works there. And she basically trains people, like, young men to be her boss. And, like, like, Whoa. but she herself will never be promoted because, one, she's a woman, and, two, she's not a Saudi national. And they want to keep, wow. um, they want to keep all, like, the boss positions to be Saudi national men. Oh, my God. So it's just, um, I was, always had, like, a lot of clarity that I don't want to work for the same company or go back to Saudi Arabia because um, that's just how the companies there operate. I was thinking about how my mom, um, she's just like Mm -hmm. African-American in New York, working for Citibank. She trains like Penn students practically, like fresh out of college um, people to like go on to like higher levels of the company that like she won't be able to because she didn't get like a similar kind of degree. Um, and she, yeah. And it's just like this kind of like elitism situation. Um, and yeah. And even though she sort of like worked her way up the company from like Mm -hmm. branches and stuff, it's interesting. Cause like when you said it, I was like, man. And then I was like, wait, actually (laughs) my mom does that. And when do you think that you like became aware of like social justice issues would you say that that had to happen more so when you like came to America when you came to college like Mm -hmm. or like yeah so I think um the magical thing that happened when I was younger is that so in this compound that I live in in the bubble there is a chapter of Girl Scouts um it's Girl Scouts of USA overseas it's the Dharan Saudi Arabia chapter. And um, we couldn't sell cookies, so we sold calendars because they couldn't import cookies into Saudi. But um, it was fine. I still still got to sell calendars. But I think um, <laughs> a bigger part is that, like, that was really the first place where, like, I got together and with a bunch of other girls in a forum and we talked about things that we were passionate about and, like, leaving the place better than you found it. And, like, a lot of principles that I... Um, that people, when I say Girl Scouts, they kind of roll their eyes. But I think it was, like, a really big foundation, foundational part of my life where I just um, understood what it meant to be a girl in the society that we live in right now. That's cool. Um, I don't want to keep you too long because I know you're, like, a busy bloomers woman on this <laughs> campus. But definitely thank you for coming out. Oh, thank that you for awesome. having me. I hope that was... Um, a different perspective um, for
from the others that you're going to be talking to. So yeah, thanks cool. for having me. What's up, guys? We are now chilling with Marissa McCool, and um, we're just going to keep this conversation rolling, hearing about different people's experiences with the Women's March. Um, so did you go to any of the marches? or? Um, I was planning on it, and I had registered for it, but I had had a terrible week here, <laughs> and I just didn't feel being in a big crowd was going to help anything. So mm-hmm. I've sort of been participating digitally, uh, writing a lot of things, putting out a lot of work. Uh, my own podcast has been uh, very activist and just trying to reach as many people as possible and do the most that I can. Um, did you feel as though, like, from what you've maybe seen or heard online or from your friends that it was, like, um, something that you feel as though was, like, positive for the feminist movement or, like, other... Um, the other topics on the table? It's tough because there were positive things about it, and I don't want to discount that. The fact that they could get that many people out in the streets in all these major cities coordinated is amazing and really speaks to the fact of how many people are either scared or looking to take action. The problem I see with it is that it was planned, it was registered, Everybody was friendly. Everybody was, you know, hugging the police and no real problems came about. Um, I believe the quote is, a riot is the voice of the unspoken. And all we hear about is the broken windows or somebody threw a trash can or the Nazi getting punched. And I personally wouldn't do any of those things. But being nice obviously doesn't work. So there needs to be more than just coordinating and marching down the street. I think there needs to be a lot more spontaneous resistance, a lot more less pleasant protests. I'm definitely not advocating for violence or anything, but there needs to be agitation. There needs to be inconvenience. There needs to be things that get people's attention beyond, oh, that's happening. If I'm not there, I don't have to worry about it because if anything is going to further press this agenda, it has to be beyond just speaking up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was very peaceful. Like, um, I went to the um, march in D.C., um, and I know that some people talked about afterwards the fact that the police, like, no one got arrested, and um, the police were sort of letting people do whatever they want, and some people um, were implying that that had to do with, like, large amounts of white women, older white women, white women that seemed as though they came from, like, various class backgrounds, um, and I, I probably, who knows, <laughs> um, but I also think that the sentiment among the people that were there um, was not um, very agitated, like, definitely, like, verbally expressive, and, like, there was a lot of, like, expressive artwork and signage, Um, but, yeah, I think I agree that it was at least, like, one of the more peaceful, like, um, protests I've seen or been a part of. Yeah, and that's, I'm I'm glad that that many people can get together and not break out into violence, 
or, you know, not get in trouble or anything like that, but it's not enough. It's not enough to go to a thing, march your planned route, and go home. That All it says is that there are voices standing against this current regime. But when you tell them when you're going to be there and get all the permits and do exactly what they do and make a lot of expressive artwork and then just go home, it's not enough. Um, mm-hmm. I think the best sign I saw from any of the marches uh, was being held up by an African-American lady saying, uh, so we're going to see all you nice white ladies at the next Black Lives Matter protest, right? Mm-hmm. And imagine what the situation would have been if that was a Black Lives Matter protest that had that many people. The cops would probably have been in riot gear instead of hugging people and taking selfies. And that is very important. I, one of the biggest negative narratives I've seen coming out is that this these a lot of these marches weren't focused on uh, POC. They weren't p- focused on trans issues. They weren't focused on the LGBT community. It was just, we need to forget about all that right now and just focus on one thing. And while that issue does need focus, while we do need to worry about women's rights, while we do need to worry about all the protections that they definitely want to unravel, don't exclude people don't put us to the side because that's what the clinton campaign did that's what a lot of liberal people did uh i I think it was bill maher who's who accused trans issues of being a boutique issue in the clinton campaign and blamed that for partially for the loss and it's not you know people like boutique issue what does that mean it means it was something that didn't matter that distracted away from the real issues of the campaign and that's easy to say when you're not a trans person but Mm -hmm. you know when you're just trying to think that oh we all have to get together and agree on everything and win and not worry about the other people well that's not an inclusive movement and what do you feel about like the way in which like genitalia was like so central to the women's march i mean i think um, on the one hand, like abortion rights are on the table, like Trump's like um, grab him by the pussies statement became so viral. Um, but then I noticed some people saying that that was like pretty exclusionary or like what were your thoughts about that? I didn't find that being exclusionary because the right to choose is a right that's going to be under attack and it's already been defunded. And apologists will say, well, all the Republican presidents did that. That doesn't make it OK. But. I didn't find that to be exclusionary. I totally get why it was on the table. And I found the admitting of sexual assault by the president a lot more terrifying than which genitalia he mentioned he would grab. Um, you know, there there are a lot of things in those two examples. Um, th- the resistance from the feminist community, I think, has been that as well-intentioned as some of them, not all of them are, they still don't see trans women as real women. So mm. it's like, no, we have to put you in your own special section and you can have your own time. Some, one of them actually said to me, this isn't your issue. Go do your own thing. That you know, This isn't about you. They said that tra- to another trans friend of mine that it wasn't about us, that it wasn't having anything to do with trans women and this one was about those women or all women and we needed to focus on that and we could have our own thing you know later at a different time that's not what it was about but as far as i'm concerned trans women are women so we're all women we're all 
terrified of this regime and their attitude toward women's rights, toward uh, the, the attack on pro-choice people, the attack on the LGBT people, the attack on POC, everybody. We're all terrified, but it's not the time to be infighting. It's not the time to be casting people aside and excluding them because they might be different or because they might not have matching genitalia. I'm pretty sure that march was not about having a, having a vagina. It was about sending a statement to the president and the administration that there's going to be resistance. Um, and so I was actually really interested when you mentioned that um, the bathroom debate, you felt like um, was something that um, trans people didn't like push themselves. Um, and so what do you feel as though, um, the trans community would want to like centralize as like, um, issues that they feel are like maybe most important or like at towards the front of the agenda right now? The bathroom bill is under the guise of trying to prevent sexual assault, but really it's an attack on us. It's an attack on our right to be a human, it's our right to be a person, our right to be addressed the way we want to be addressed. Mm. Because they lost the fight in marriage equality, so now they're going to go after what they see as a more vulnerable group of people that they can bully. Because that's what bullies do. When they lose a fight, they move on to a next one so that they can kick someone else in the face. And trans people have higher suicide rates than pretty much the general population. It's almost one in two. And attempts are almost as high. It's scary. You know, we're a vulnerable community that has not been normalized in mainstream society, save for maybe Caitlyn Jenner and Chaz Bono. But even those two just existing brought out so much vitriol and so much hatred, even from other parts of the LGBT community. So what we what as a trans person the first thing we need to do, in my opinion, is normalize it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I also feel as though um, a lot of the reason why um, the um, gay rights and lesbian and queer people's rights um, movement um, took off and we have, like, um, gay marriage legalized now is because, like, um, people have, um, like, gay people in their family. Um, and, like... Um, and since, like, trans people are, like, a smaller population, um, it's, like, less likely that um, people are going to have those, like, one-on-one -on -one interactions. Yeah, and, the, you know, gay marriage went from being an a reason that George W. Bush was elected again to being legalized in 11 years. And it wasn't because we were nice about it. It wasn't because we said, oh, we'll wait our turn. It's not important. We saw an issue, we humanized it, and we did all we could to normalize it in mainstream society. Mm. Yeah. Damn. And so where can people, um, like, find you and your <laughs> podcast? And also, like, um, what kind of spaces do you hang out in on campus? Um, yeah. Being a commuter, I don't get a lot of time to hang out on campus, mm -hmm. but I do hang out in the LGBT center mostly because it's quiet. And because, you know, I'm not going to have to worry about which bathroom to use there because it's all gender neutral. But um, I have a podcast that airs every Friday night at 7 p.m. It's called the Inciting Incident Podcast. We just had our 75th episode. Oh, my gosh. Um, yeah. And we, we have several more interviews coming up with uh, Bible scholar Matthew O'Neill, uh, with Dan Errol. I mentioned him earlier. Um, I wrote a book 
called the PCI, How American Voters Decided I Don't Matter, where it, I call it a basically a 17-chapter tribute to Donald Trump going fucking himself. You know, go, you know, so the first <laughs> words of the, the, the book are seriously, fuck you. Like, just for, you know, it, was a, it started as a rant, but it became my coming out piece because mm. when that uh, pastor, I call him Pastor Carl because I don't talk about his real name, so I can just say, fuck you, Carl. But <laughs> I, I talk about him that way, and there's a video of me uh, letting him judge me. And I end it with the mic drop by getting in his face and going, I'm transgender, fuck you. And that's how I came out. And then after the election in nine days, I wrote a book and got other uh, people in my community to contribute. I got Chris Cluey, uh, the former Vikings punter who spoke up for same-sex equality in 2012, and his, uh, his article went viral. Uh, he wrote the foreword to my book. And I also have a Harvard lawyer named P. Andrew Torres. Uh, I have a, a comedian from New York named Eli Bosnick. I have a fellow Penn student, Andrina Lamas Mateus. Uh, she contributed as well. My husband, he wrote a piece in the back as well. So I brought together, that's what I like to do with my writings is bring together additional voices to try to make theirs heard as well, to express what it is they need to say. And I treat my podcast the same way, getting a conversation started, getting these issues out in the open. Even if we don't agree at the end of it, it's much better than not having the conversation at all. Um, so I can be found on Twitter at Riss McCool, uh, R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L, um, Facebook, Marissa Alexa McCool. That's also the name my book is under. Um, I, I also bring copies of my book with me in case anybody wants one signed. Uh, if you do, you can email rissmcwriting at gmail.com. I'm always willing to order more and bring them in. But I'm quite active in a lot of communities, but... Being, living 100 miles away from Penn like I do and commuting daily, I don't always get a chance to participate. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, wow. I'm really glad that I know about this now because, <laughs> I mean, Steph and I started this podcast because we started to see um, a lot of people who looked like us having, like, popular, interesting podcasts. Um, and that sort of became a window into, like, okay, what would our voice look like in this sphere? Um, and then as we've, like, come along and started to, like, learn more about, like, all these different podcasts that exist, it was just, like, eye-opening for sure. Um, and people that are real, like, conversation starters. So I'm definitely excited to check out the work that you guys have been doing. Like, 75th episode, that's, yeah. like, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> and we're about to hit our most popular month yet. Um, we're less than a thousand away from breaking our highest monthly total, which was uh, twenty five thousand and change. So at some point in the next day or two, we'll pass that. So uh, being on a couple of the major podcasts in the skeptic community as well as others has. Sort what is the skeptic community? Generally, uh, atheists, agnostic, non-religious, uh, spiritual, anything that's not associated with organized religion. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, church and state is an issue that we feel is going to be huge, uh, not necessarily with Trump, but with the people he's hired, like Betsy DeVoe, uh, who advocates for the voucher system and for putting the Bible back in school. So it's not exclusive. You know, we don't begrudge anybody for their religious beliefs until they start encroaching on our rights or until they start uh, dictating where we can go to the bathroom and where we can exist as people. So 
um, I was on a show called God Awful Movies, which is where they make fun of terrible Christian movies that do those <laughs> very things. Uh, the, the the movie we reviewed was called The Encounter with the wrestler Sting. And as uh, no illusions, the host called it. It was uh, Jesus's dinner and magic show. The whole movie took place in a diner with a guy who claimed to be Jesus. And it was telling us why genocide is love, why someone committed suicide because they didn't Jesus hard enough, and how you should really thank someone. Uh, you should really be grateful that Jesus didn't stop your rape, but at least made sure you didn't die afterwards. Like, it was terrifying. And that's by the same guy who directed uh, God's Not Dead a few years later. This was a 2010 movie. So I was brought on as a guest masochist, as they like to call it. And that was episode 73. That episode's out there along with a lot of the other podcasts that I've guest appeared on recently. But mm. after that episode, I was in Chicago because it happened to be the same week that they were hosting a live episode between them and Cognitive Dissonance, another uh, popular podcast. And I was approached by probably 100 people who were like, are you, are you Marissa? I loved your appearance. And I've been friended a bunch of times. I've gotten so many messages that I've come out in all my writing endeavors, including um, I'm actually a wrestling columnist too. And I came out there. That was the last place I came out because it seemed like a terrifying uh, adventure to out myself in a community that's not exactly known for its open-mindedness. But they embraced me as much as everybody else has. And I am so grateful and completely acknowledging of how lucky I am to have that kind of network. But I owe a lot to No Illusions, Eli Bosnick and Heath Enright for bringing me on God Awful Movies and allowing me to speak and to rant and to <laughs> send a nice uh, diatribe to Pastor Carl and how he told us that uh, Penn has, a, has that suicide problem because we accept trans people. So, oh my gosh! He was one of the um, people outside Van Pelt area. Yep. Wow. Yeah. I feel like the community is torn about whether to like protest them or ignore them. So it's definitely good to hear like your opinion at least because I know that I'm also unsure. Yeah. But, and yeah. I I I tell this story all the time. So forgive anybody who's tuning in to hear me if they've already heard it. But I saw this guy going after. I'm 31, so I consider them children. They're 17 and 18 years old. So to me, they're kids. But I saw the way his insults and attacks were hurting them. And I saw this guy as a clown, so nothing he said was going to affect me. So I distracted him. I kept getting in his face and getting him to yell at me because I can take it. So the more I distracted him, the more he wasn't yelling at anybody else. So... They can say that, you know, he has his freedom of speech. Of course he does. But he wasn't just standing there with a sign. He wasn't just yelling into a megaphone. He was following people and verbally assaulting them and going after them and calling them slurs. And to me, your freedom of speech needs to be challenged when you are harassing me at my school. Mm -hmm. And I am more than willing to speak up about how his right to hate speech is not something that should just be passed over as if it's just a simple peaceful protest. There is nothing peaceful about going up to girls and calling them sluts for having exposed shoulders. So 
I, mm-hmm. I know not every... Especially when it's, like, specifically targeted like that. Yeah. That's crazy. That was the biggest problem I had with it. Not mm-hmm. his right to protest, but the fact that he was harassing and verbally assaulting people with who were just walking by or who were ignoring him. It's not just like he was going after the people circling around him, counter-protesting him. He was going after everybody, and that is not okay to me. And, mm-hmm. you know, when he came back, Penn Police did all they could to, like, shut you know, push us away to say, you know, move along. We don't want anybody to give him attention. But that's our First Amendment right, too, to counter protest and to let him know we don't accept his hateful message. Um, to me, he's just like the Westboro Baptist Church, except he doesn't protest funerals. But at the same time, he's standing on our campus saying that he has the right to be there and that we're all fag lovers and that we're all homos and that we are we have a suicide problem because we accept trans people. That's not OK mm. to me. And I will speak up against him anytime he is here. And I will speak up in defense of anybody he's gone after. Mm. Man. Yeah. I mean. Thank you for that. Like, sure. that's that's amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, thank you for coming on this podcast. I feel like our past couple episodes, we've had a lot of people that we've already known. Um, and just because we're, like, excited to get them involved with the project that we're working on um, and, like, think they have cool things to share. But it's been nice this episode to, like, get to know new people on campus. And I'm definitely glad that we did this. Sure. Um, um, so I, I'm willing you. to come on anytime. Uh, I always joke on Facebook that you don't have to ask if I will come on your podcast. I will come on your podcast, even if you're the only one who listens to it. I love this. This is my favorite thing. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on. This was In the Cut, hosted by me, Stephanie Hodges, and Taylor Hosking. We were edited and produced by Joyce Varma. This podcast was brought to you by The Daily Pennsylvanian. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode.